Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Hello everyone, it's Chris Platty here. Now before the episode starts, I just want to get into some quick housekeeping. Um, as always, follow me on all the social medias. If you don't, um, Twitter and Instagram, at RealChrisPlatty, C-H-R-I-S-P-L-A-T-T-E. If you don't know how to spell real, don't follow. Just kidding, don't get offended. That is a catchphrase, that is my slogan, whatever you want to call it. Now, as far as what to expect in today's episode... Nick and I discuss basically the lower tier of Eastern Conference playoff teams. So a bunch of teams with losing records, Detroit, Indiana, um, Brooklyn, and Atlanta. So all of those teams we will be discussing in depth, just basically looking at them, figuring out who we believe in, who we don't believe in, and kind of just what our summary is of those two teams. But Don't worry, if you like winning basketball, I do have another podcast coming probably Monday morning, which is going to focus on a lot of the top of the Eastern Conference. So that's coming, and then next week I got some Western Conference podcast stuff coming, so stay tuned for that as well. Now, as far as the hip-hop side of it, I got the Dave East Survival Album Review that I'm recording, uh, hopefully this weekend, if not early next week, so it will be up uh, the day I record it. Then... I have on the YouTube channel, I still have that Grammys prediction video coming. Um, it's been editing for a while and it's been in the chamber, but I'm, I'm getting ready to release that. So that should be coming in the next day or so. So stay tuned for that. And I guess that's all the housekeeping. Without further ado, listen to Nick and I talk about a bunch of losing teams in the Eastern Conference. Once again, this is first time guest Nick of Fanside. He is the site expert for Piston Powered. So again, him and I talk about a bunch of losing basketball. Um, it's, a, it's really a great conversation. We have a lot of fun in there. This is a really fun episode. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So without further ado, I will throw it to the intro music and let's get this podcast started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Strictly Hoop Talk. I have a special guest today on this episode. It is my man, Nick, the site expert at Piston Powered. Nick, how you doing? I am great. This is, uh, I'm excited. This was a very, very quick, uh, like, we, we sort of just decided that we wanted to do this, and then boom, here I am. I'm very excited. Yeah, it was a quick turn. It was like a what, like a forty-eight hour turnaround between me reaching out to you and uh, and us recording this. Yeah, if that. Yeah, it was very quick. I'm excited. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have you on, man, because I've been watching your live streams and following your work for quite some time. So I'm glad to have you on the podcast to talk Pistons because everyone knows on this podcast that I covered the NBA, but my heart is with the Pistons. So, Yeah, so, no, absolutely, yeah. So let's jump into it. The Pistons have had a very interesting start, and then we'll bounce to some other teams in the East, but the Pistons have had an interesting start to the season. They go 4-6 and six without Blake. Obviously, Blake missed the 10 games due to his knee and hamstring injury, and the Pistons, I would say, had a pretty favorable schedule in that 10 games. So to go under 500, that's kind of the four and six range is kind of what we what James Edwards and I were talking about when I had him on the podcast with the Pistons saying that, you know, if Blake does miss miss a stretch, you ideally want to go as around 500. If you go 500, that's a good that's a right. good uh, that's a good sign. But right. the fact that they went four and six, despite what I felt was a favorable schedule with uh, with Indiana a couple times. Um, Chicago, Washington, the and, Knicks. Yeah, the Knicks, and to still go four and six was a bit disheartening. So tell me what you saw in those first games because I saw a real issue with the defense and and the offense. But I'll let you take the floor. Yeah. So I mean, at the end of the day, the the way that you had to look at those games was we weren't just playing without Blake Griffin. We were also playing without Reggie Jackson, who. It's even it's honestly sort of an anomaly that he's an anomaly is not even the right word. It's a huge disappointment that he's not even playing right now, because last season he played 82 games. We didn't think he was actually capable of physically doing that. So he had a fully healthy season last year, had a healthy offseason and then boom, comes into preseason and he's shaken up. So to start the year, the Pistons just weren't healthy at all. So we're without our, our starting power forward. We're also without our starting point guard. Uh, and then Derek Rose is dealing with his injuries too. Tim Frazier goes down. So. Um, it, we're just injury ridden and uh, to go four and six, even through that, sure. The lineup management was really, really terrible through, uh, you know, several of those games. However, I don't, I, you have to also give Dwayne Casey credit for winning some of those games. Losing the wizards game was a little bit inexcusable. I thought, yeah. but Hey, if nothing else, at least we beat the Knicks. If we lost to the Knicks, then I think there would have been a huge, like fire Dwayne Casey thing, which yeah. there still already is, which to me is, is insane. But, um, um, yeah, it's a defense thing, and the problem is, I think the thing that people need to realize, I've I've come to terms with this, this team is going to be a bad basketball team until they at least get Blake Griffin back, which is tonight against the Charlotte Hornets. I'm not sure when this is gonna when this is gonna go live, but we are recording today, and Blake Griffin and Derrick Rose are gonna play against the Charlotte Hornets tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, so this team's going to be bad, especially, like you said, on defense, because they're going to have to rely heavily on Thon Maker playing interior defense in apparently like 14, 15 minutes a game, which is just unacceptable. But that's unfortunately where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's on the defensive end. Uh, it's, it's weird because it seems like this team is super inconsistent with making their shots. However, yes. they rank first in the NBA in three-point percentage. And then they rank, I believe, top five in in total field goal percentage. At least they did a few games ago. I don't know where they stand right now. So it's weird. As as inconsistent as they are, they're still t- quote unquote efficient. I don't really know how that makes any sense. But um, when they only they only grabbed you know thirty two or thirty one rebounds against the Heat the other night. Granted, that's because they didn't miss a shot for eighty percent of the game. Um, yeah, this, this team's going to be really, they're going to be really bad as long as they're as crippled as they are. Yeah, 
Yeah, and that's and that's really what the issue what the issue is. I'm glad you point out the offensive numbers because if you had me just blindfold guess, I would have guessed that the Pistons were like middle in the pack of everything offensively when it comes to Yeah, it's to really stats. weird. It's super weird. Yeah. But the defense to me is is the bigger issue and and I think it's a bigger issue because one, I don't know how much Blake necessarily helps that. I don't think I don't think he helps it much. I don't think he really hurts it either but I don't think he necessarily helps it too much so that's that's an issue but it's just the the teams I'm watching you know they're getting nothing but threes uh they're getting all the three three-point looks that they want to they're getting open three-point looks and they're they're getting a lot of shots at the rim and like you said we're relying on Don Maker to play to play interior defense and for a 7-3 dude I have never seen I've never seen people less scared of a 7-3 dude in my life. It's they... really it's baffling and I don't understand how through his last 5 games standing at 7 foot 3, he's only averaging 1.8 rebounds per game. In 5 games, he is wow. averaging 1.8 rebounds a game. I don't even what? think I could have bared myself to look at those numbers. <laughs> so... You want to hear something even more insane? Let's hear it. In the last five games, do you want to take a whack at what uh, Thonmaker's plus minus is? Minus 18. Minus 40. Wow. <laughs> wow. And on the season, he's minus 41. So uh, his last five games have been just about as bad as he's been all season. Um, I If that's not an indictment on the fact that we need to free Christian Wood, get yeah. that man some minutes, which is another, I'm going to sidetrack this for two seconds and then we'll just we'll work right back around because I want to work. I want to fit this in there because I want to right, address let's this. Let's do it. I'm sure you've seen people float out the Andre Drummond and draft picks for D'Angelo Russell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that no. is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life for the exact Horrible. reason that we're talking about right now. Because then who's our starting five? It's You're looking tough. at either Thon Maker or Christian Wood. And if it's Christian Wood, like, okay, that's cool, I guess. Unless you're going small ball, like, for 48 minutes, and Blake Griffin and Marquise Morris are going to play center, um, that's just not going to work. So I just wanted to very quickly detest all of those theories. Um, but, yeah, go ahead and, go ahead and uh, keep going with the Pistons. I just had to throw that out there. No, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up cuz I I saw that I didn't know if it was as much a thing as as maybe as maybe you're alluding to, but I saw a couple people mention that and I'm just like uh why why on earth would the Pistons give Andre Drummond for D'Angelo Russell? Do you see what Don Maker is doing? And more importantly, do you see what D'Angelo Russell is doing? I don't I'm not a big fan of him either, so um, he's been he's been better with with Steph Curry's injury. D'Angelo Russell has stepped up, and mm-hmm. people are chalking it up to one of two things. It's either the fact that he doesn't have to play with Steph, so he can actually have the ball, or it's just the fact that he's acclimating himself to the Warriors' offense. Take your pick. I don't particularly care. The Warriors are garbage. The Phoenix Suns are currently better than the Golden State Warriors, and that's a, just a wild sentence. Um so it's not that I don't want D'Angelo Russell in a Pistons uniform. I just don't want the consequences of having him in a Pistons uniform. Which is Thon. <laughs> Which is Thon Maker starting at center. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's let's jump back to so let's jump back to Blake now coming back. So Blake came back in that game against Minnesota. Talk about a game where Thon was just 
rendered totally ineffective. Uh, that was one of the worst games I seen I I seen from a player in a long time. When Don was he couldn't catch that pass from Luke Kennard, and Luke Kennard yeah. just let, was like, oh my god. And on defense, he was just missing all the rotation. He was just always late. Um, but Blake played. He played. What was what was his final minute log? Wasn't it twenty or twenty two? I think it was like twenty three, and he scored like twenty one six assists and seven yeah. uh, rebounds on like six of twelve shooting, one of three from deep, and four turnovers. Yeah, he played. He played well. I mean, the turnover number is high, but for the most part, I mean, he played. He played extremely well in what was a very limited limited uh, minute log for him. Yeah. And you know when he's out there, like the offense, the offense looks a lot more sustainable because it because he does draw a lot of attention. There's that one play in the, I believe it was the third quarter, where he drew like five guys from Minnesota to all, like the entire team just crashed in the paint. And then he had, and then he kicked it to, I believe it was Tony Snell in the corner, who had a, who had a wide open look. Like Blake's does have a very solid gravity that really opens up the floor for piston shooters like Snell and and Kennard and so I so I think that this team will will become even better offensively but I just I still get back to the defense like the Minnesota game was a huge wake up for me now I know Minnesota some of those threes are just were just kind of like okay just nothing you can do yeah nothing you could do but for the most part they were just swinging that ball around the perimeter and getting pretty much an open look every time they wanted to from three yeah, I mean, uh, what I'll say is what I noticed, and even though it was a very small sample size, um, I think they should obviously continue to test it out for maybe two games, uh, tonight included with Derrick Rose and Blake Griffin. Um, if you Obviously, you want to see them on the court together. That's a huge test because I don't really know if they should be on the floor together. Because I think their minutes should be staggered because Derrick Rose doesn't space the floor. He needs to play at the rim. He needs yeah. to have his offense generated in a way that he can attack the basket, uh, which he can generate for himself. But if the Pistons want to run a four-out, one-in offense, uh, like offensive setup, then I don't really think you want Derrick Rose and Blake Griffin on the floor at the same time because Derrick Rose has taken like three three-pointers this season, and I don't know if he's made one yet um, because that's not his game. Like That's not even a slight towards Derrick Rose. But if you're going to make him play away from the basket like how Minnesota did last season, uh, making him play as a shooting guard, that's just not how Derrick Rose is going to be effective. That's not how Derrick Rose is Derrick Rose. You need him playing at the basket. I don't think they can really do that, especially if they're also going to have Andre Drummond at the floor on the floor at the same time because then you you have three guys patrolling around the rim, and that's just not really going to cut it. So um, with Blake Griffin being back, yes, he does draw a lot of attention, and that is exceptional. However, again, it was only one game, so I don't want to overreact. Mm-hmm. Um, Dwayne Casey still has the uh, Blake ball, the, the iso ball, uh, sort of in the back of his head with Blake Griffin, and that's generally where he was causing, where his, where his, he was getting, causing those turnovers uh, was when he was trying to isolate, so... I think that should probably stop, much like how Andre Drummond taking the ball up the floor like a point guard should probably stop because I'd say eight times out of ten it leads to a missed layup or a turnover. Um, yes. So 
Yes, that Washington game, even though even though he had that stretch in like the five in in the second quarter for like five minutes where he was bringing the ball up the court and he was actually making exceptional plays, it yeah. was still like I don't like this every time every time he did it every time he brought the ball up the court. I was like I don't like this. But you mentioned one thing before, um, but before before you get back to to just the the Blake and the Blake and Rose and all of that on offense, I do want to mention something that I found that was kind of that that really appalled me because I know Blake's on a minute restriction, so I'll give I'll give Dwayne Casey a pass for this, but it, there is there is no reason why in that Minnesota game he should have had Andre Blake and Rose all on the bench at the same time for any stretch. Yeah, I would agree with that. There was a point there was six minutes left in the fourth quarter, and Blake Griffin headed to the bench, and he was very very visibly. Uh, and audibly angry, he was like cussing out Sean yeah. Sweeney on the bench because he didn't want to come out of the game. Did he eventually come back in the game? Yeah, like three minutes later, he did. He just they just needed him to get a quick rest. Um, yeah. I think I agree with you. I think that's a really really interesting contingency plan that people have been floating around. Um, if they're all going to be healthy, there is a really really there's a real chance where uh, right now. Well, I don't know. It's it's difficult when we don't have a point guard because I I went from. I like Bruce Brown playing point guard to I'm not sure how I feel about Bruce Brown playing point guard. However, when when we don't really have that many options, you got to do what you got to do. If we have a full rotation or at least uh, Tim Frazier, Derek Rosen, we can throw in Bruce Brown there. Then I think I agree with you. Otherwise, if you're just looking at, you know, Derek Rosen, Bruce Brown, then it could get a little bit tricky doing that. However, um, otherwise, I completely agree with you. I think that would that would definitely be a very, very productive experiment. Yeah, because I'm I'm with you in staggering Rose Blake and and Drummond to an extent like where you can have you can have two of them on the court for the majority of the game almost, and I I would very much like that because like you said I I think I I think Blake and Rose well I don't think it would be like the worst thing in the world when they're together I just think they are far more productive when when they're separated just or they will be I should say because I guess it's hard to draw conclusions from one game or it's unfair right. to but right. you know you the spacing you bring up an excellent point there and that um and that even though Blake has evolved into a great perimeter player uh you necessarily still don't want Blake to be a, a total perimeter player and that's what he would have to be in order for Rose to be effective or vice versa Rose would have to be a perimeter player for Blake to be fully effective so I like the idea of staggering their minutes a lot when this team does get healthy, but you know that's that's the issue. So right now they sit at four and seven, right? Uh, they are four and eight right now, or four and eight. Sorry, four and eight. So four and eight, and their schedule will eventually get harder. They have not played any of these major Western Conference teams that are that are playing extremely well. They haven't played. Uh, the top teams of the East. They haven't played Toronto. They haven't played Boston. No, we played Toronto. Oh Pascal yeah, we did Siakam play Toronto. Dropped like twenty-one points in a quarter on us. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Um, you know what? What I'll say really quick about Pascal Siakam. Have you ever seen a player get that good that fast? No, never. And never. that's that's not really an original take because I've seen like eighty other people make it. But I just want to sort of uh, share that sentiment because I don't get it, and some of it. I guess would be credited to Dwayne Casey because of his development, sure. Right. But also shout out Nick Nurse. I don't know, man. I just had to slide that in there really quick because Pascal Siakam is really good and it's really scary. 
Yeah, it, it it's really insane because, you know, I everyone expected him to um, kind of just looking at the, doing the stereotypical, like, look at his age and look at what he did last year, so therefore he should be this much better this year. Yeah. But I was, I was reserved in that because I was like, okay, like, this guy is really just, you know, two years ago he was a role player. Yeah. And now he's and now he's one of the best, I don't know how many right now, like 10, 15 players in the league right now. I would say he's he's a top two ball handling power forward. And I don't know who number one would be or if he's number one, but man, that cat can really handle the ball. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he can he can slice and dice. He can stretch the floor. He's good, man. And it's really annoying that Toronto's still good. <laughs> because <laughs> I wish that the Pistons could leapfrog them, but right now, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. No, not I. I would I would be shocked if that happened. If that happened, we'd have to we'd have to do this podcast again in the future <laughs> and, and just try to wrap our heads around that. But For sure. let's um, before we get to the art teams in the East, let's with the Pistons. Let's close with this. So again, their schedule will eventually get harder. They they will play all those teams that I mentioned. Um, they can't play the Victor Oladipo-less Pacers all the time, even though the Pacers have turned it around, which we'll get to in a second. But their schedule is going to get harder. So now, as you mentioned on your stream, you know it, the Pistons are kind of in a in a situation where they might want to figure, really start to think about their direction fast if things get out of hand. Yeah, I mean, it's long overdue, to be quite honest. I mean, this Absolutely. is something that we've all sort of known, that they refuse to commit to a certain direction. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be mad if they decided to tank, like, three years ago. I would have, I'm, I'm upset that there's just no, like, okay, we want to win now. Yeah, sure, the Blake Griffin trade was, you know, a great, great step in that direction. But even then, it just doesn't feel like, you know, we're, it still feels like we're just that, that one piece away. So... Uh, right now, uh, everyone's very uh, high on the uh, we need to sell at the trade deadline. We need to, you know, it's time to blow it up. No, because on paper, if everybody's healthy, this is still a pretty good basketball team. The problem is, is we have not played with a healthy basketball team yet. And that's mm-hmm. sort of the problem with the, 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 the recipe, the equation that the front office has had year after year is it seems like every single year it's okay – we have a really, really good roster. As long as player X, player Y, and player Z can stay healthy, then we'll have a great year. The problem is, is that they never. It never feels like they never do. Or they so just then, never meet meet the produ- productivity that 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 the front office is expecting. Shout I mean, out Charlie yeah. Villanueva, Ben, ben Gordon, Gordon, and yep. Josh Smith. That's hilarious. Literally, yep. that's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. <laughs> so. You have those issues, you have injury issues, you have inefficiency issues. Um, you start to look at it and you're like, okay, once this team is actually healthy, whether that's in mid-December, the end of December, January, whenever it is, if it's before the trade deadline and you have a solid slate of games where you can look at a fully healthy roster and say, okay, this can improve with time or this is pretty good, or this is just bad. This is just, this just is not going to work. Well, Blake Griffin's window is going to start closing if it hasn't already. Mm -hmm. So at that point, you need to say, okay, if we're, you know, 15 games under 500 by the trade deadline, and this roster just isn't it as a healthy unit, uh, then you just got to, you know, I think then it's time to start making some decisions, trade Blake wherever, 
do whatever with Andre so you don't have to pay him. I mean, if you want to hang on to him, you can. I, you could get picks for him, and that would be quite nice. Um, yeah, they just they have a lot of de- they they definitely have to observe uh, what's on the floor and weigh their options once they're healthy. Yeah, so I think I think what the Pistons fan base should be rooting for is they should be rooting for everyone to get healthy so that they can. And I know this isn't what Pistons fan base wants, so that they can wait a few games and analyze the situation, and then dis- figure out what this team actually is. Because, like you said, I. I like a lot of these pieces on paper when they're healthy, when they're playing together and playing, you know, the right way if the rotations are done right and all of those things. I see this team as a as a very solid team and as a and as a longtime fan who, you know, grew up on the O four Pistons, like I I I would like to see a Pistons playoff team, you know, even if even as long as they're more competitive than they were last year in Milwaukee. And I was still happy that they made the playoffs last year. So yeah, I'm I'm not necessarily totally opposed to this direction that they're in right now, but they are at a point where they really do have to look at the mirror and say, okay, are we? We've been doing this for a decade now, where we've been in this cycle of of just you know like mid lottery to low playoffs, and right. we gotta and we gotta figure out, okay, do we want to commit? Do we think we have enough to commit to being a low to middle playoff team? Or do we have to, or do we have to tear this thing down with Andre Drummond's, uh, with Andre Drummond's contract coming up and Blake's obviously his window is closing, so it, it's it's a it's a tough decision that the Pistons have to make, but it's one that they will absolutely have to make in, like you said, by by you know, hopefully January when everybody everybody is healthy. You want to jump to some other teams in the East? That's perfect. Absolutely. All right, let's jump to the Nets, who you actually, who actually in our conversation, I, I had, um, I had saw somewhere that you, had, maybe it was through a tweet of yours or whatever, that you had actually uh, covered the Nets for about two months, right at yep. the, right at the beginning of this. But I didn't know the thing I didn't know was that it was right, right before the season started. Yeah, and yeah. So it was, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was August fifth to September thirtieth. So yeah, two months. Yeah, two months with the Nets, right? The first two months of Kyrie before everything, you know, kind of hit the fan. That was before even the the, the first Kyrie story came out. But the Nets are now four and seven. They're in that they're in that huge cluster of tie. They have a three game losing streak. Karis Levert is out for four to six weeks. They're a bottom five defense. And the last time I checked, they were top five in unassisted field goals, which makes yes. sense with Kyrie but not the rest of the roster. A lot of these guys, Joe Harris, are, are, are good system players, meaning that they don't create their own shots well, so they have to rely on off-ball play action and ball movement in order to score. And so they just... My, my question really is with you, Nick, is do you think that they can really find a happy medium between Ky, what Kyrie does best and what the and what is best for this team? Well, I think that's going to come down to Kenny Atkinson because I think he is sort of what where a lot of these problems derive from. Um, I remember going into the season I had written, I think everybody had written or at least thought about it or talked about it, that Kenny Atkinson had a chance to be the coach of the year this year because some had argued that he should have been it last year. Um, but there was a chance coming into the season that he could be that guy. And uh, the problem is that you're right. They're abysmal on defense and the isolation ball is just insane. So with Kyrie, um, man, 
I don't know what it's going to have to be because he finally played uh, a bad game just the other night. Who are they playing? It wasn't Utah. I don't remember who they were playing. Not last I'll look night. it up. I'll look it up. Keep okay, going. Yeah, it was two games ago. He finally played a bad game. He missed like five consecutive wide-open shots. But other than that, I don't really think Kyrie has been the problem this season. It's just been other people. I think mainly maybe even Spencer Dinwiddie just because mm-hmm. he's been super inconsistent. Uh, even against Detroit, he was just sort of isolating all by himself. On like It was Denver. Like, Denver. That's I knew it was a West Coast team. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, Denver. Kyrie played a really, really bad game. But Spencer Dinwiddie's just been really selfish with the ball this season. And then whenever the refs call him for anything, he just starts yapping to the ref, kind of like what Andre Drummond tends to do. So Spencer Dinwiddie's kind of been a problem this year. Some people are clamoring that they should maybe try to look at trading Spencer Dinwiddie uh, by the trade deadline if he doesn't start to get better. Uh, so I, am I surprised that the Nets are this bad? I mean... This bad, yes. I, I expected mm-hmm. them to have some struggles because they had some struggles at the beginning of last season, and they turned out pretty okay. Yeah. So I think they'll definitely pick it up. Um, there was like a, a, I think there was a stretch last year where they went like seventeen and seven through like December and January. So I think they'll be fine. I think they'll see some similar success this year, uh, as you know, when Amon Shumpert starts starts getting some games, when Wilson Chandler comes back. When Karis Avert comes back, I think they're gonna be. Uh, I think they're gonna be okay. Yeah, and that and Spencer Dinwiddie as a as a trade piece, I I really do think that that would be a good idea. You know, I know it's it, it might be a little bit too early to give up on the experiment of having. You know, you haven't really had a strong sample size of Karis, uh, Spencer, and Kyrie along. You know, so right, but. I, I, I just, I, I don't know. I think that Nets backcourt is just a little bit too crowded. I feel like a lot of those three players kind of step on each other's toes a little bit. And while they're all good pieces that you like in a vacuum, I don't, I'm not necessarily sold on the fit of all of them together. And I don't necessarily know what, what really Brooklyn needs other than guys who can play defense and hopefully move the ball. You know, like that's really, that's really what it comes down to with this team. But I, I have this I had this team as like a bottom playoff team for me at the beginning of the season because I, I thought, you know, Kyrie's just that good and this team does have good pieces around it that they can that they can kind of struggle and find their way to a seventh, eighth seed, maybe even maybe even like sixth. But uh I'm not gonna lie to you and say that and say that I haven't rethought that position because of how, how they're playing. Now I still would put money on the end of the day them making the playoffs as opposed to them missing the playoffs, but I'm definitely not nearly as confident because I did not think that the Kyrie and I'm not going to do the whole Bill Simmons, you know, like Kyrie's destroying the locker room thing. I I'm just talking from a pure basketball perspective. I just don't like that they are this bad on defense and that they are not moving the ball and and as a result the these role players are not being max uh maximized. Yeah, I mean honestly. There's only so much I can add to that because I completely agree with everything that you said. Um, there was, I think, th- everything that came out about Kyrie, I think, was really foolish. I think anybody who believes that he's actually a distraction to the team, I think, is really arrogant. Um, I think that you're. I think it's just wrong. I don't think. Uh, I mean, it's clearly a mental health. Never mind. I, I don't even want to get into that because it's 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 seriously. It's just it's absurd to me that people think that that was actually an issue, especially when mm-hmm. all his teammates came to his defense. I think that's sort of telling in itself that there was really no story there. Um, what I was sort of bummed about though, is when the Wilson's Chandler, when the Wilson Chandler suspension came out 
And like two days later, the Rodion's Kuruk's story came out. We didn't really know what was going to happen with him. And then um, like a day later, there was the story that Kyrie and KD were reportedly pushing for the Nets to sign Mello. I lost my mind and immediately (laughs) wrote like three stories about the Nets signing Carmelo Anthony. One of them did like exceptionally well, and to this day, it's the it's like the most amount of pages that one of my articles has ever gotten. So that was really really sweet. But um, yeah, I was bummed they didn't sign him. Um, but instead, they went with Amon Shumpert because of Karis's injury, which is yeah, that's all the same. That's pretty cool, I guess. I think that <laughs> they'll be able to pick it up. So you were saying that you know maybe they won't even be a bottom of the barrel playoff team this year with how bad that they are. I really think, again, I think it's going to be similar to last year. And, you know, I think they're going to pick it up. I think they're going to be fine. Um, If not, honestly, it doesn't matter because next year they're going to be the favorites to win the title. So I think Nets fans will be like, okay, whatever. We weren't great this year, but next year we have Kevin Durant. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Kevin Durant is uh, not a bad, not a bad thing to look forward to next year. Um, let's jump to let's jump to Atlanta. Atlanta is a team that I'm interested in because they're again in that massive tie at four and seven, but the team is out of their clear second best player, John Collins. Uh, another another PED suspension. Boy, is my fantasy team really? I had, <laughs> I had Collins and Aiton. Oh, that's funny. But I still managed to somehow be second by the grace of Carl Anthony Towns. That's but, hilarious. <laughs> But still, I'm Team PED right now. But, <laughs> but John Collins is out for, for another month. Herter is now out. And they are near the bottom in offensive rating, which kind of surprised me at first. But then when I was watching watching their uh, more of their games, I realized that, you know, they they just they don't really have anybody outside of Trey Young's amazing performance. And Jabari has stepped it up recently. But nobody can really hit a shot from the perimeter like none of none of their wings are really contributing at all and you know as as a result this team is not that great offensively right now and they're a bottom third defensive team and they turn the ball over a lot which is what you expect with a young team and now granted I was somebody who hit the under on this team for Atlanta but I did not expect them to play this way especially after their good start with uh with with Trey Young at the beginning of the year when they were what were they three and one to start or two and I believe they were I think it was three and one yeah yeah so that that feels like forever ago now because they've lost four of their last five and despite the really only positive thing is Jabari's recent surge um but you know I do think that Atlanta is a team that will kind that will get better I don't I still don't think they're a playoff team but I I think I think that these wings will start hitting their shots eventually and that will really help. I think their offensive rating will definitely pick up, but um, defensively, as far as like a bottom third, that's kind of what I expect from this team. I mean, you have Alex Len at center and Trey Young at point guard. As much shit as Boston gets for the Kemba Cantor pick and roll defense, uh, they should get for the Trey Young Alex Len defense. Hundred percent agree. I mean, yeah. Fun fact about Alex Len: uh, we share a birthday. Um, No, I actually, I 100% agree. I think with Atlanta, uh, was I surprised that the Pistons got clapped by them in the second game of the year? No, because I knew two things were true. One, Atlanta was not as big of a joke as they have been in years past. And two, the Pistons were on a back-to-back. So, hey, we're always going to lose that game. 
Did I think yeah. Trey Young was going to score like 40 points? No, but um, Atlanta's really good. They're a really, really good young team. They have one of the best young cores next to probably New Orleans in mm-hmm. the NBA. Um, I'm not surprised that they came out firing. I'm not surprised that they're dealing with the aforementioned struggles that you just mentioned now. Um, in theory, what you said, that eventually their wings are going to hit their shots. Well, yeah, in theory, you're probably right. I mean, literally using the Pistons as an example, against Miami, just the other night, our wings, Luke Kennard and Langston Galloway, in the first half were 0-14 from three. In the second half, Luke Kennard was, I'm sorry, not from three, but just from the field. In the second half, Luke Kennard was 8 of 10. So we literally were running the exact same offense. Our wings just were actually hitting the shots. That's all that it was. So in theory, yeah, Atlanta's going to pick it up. I agree with you. The one thing that does make me mad about the Atlanta Hawks is that Jabari Parker is doing a phenomenal job disproving my theory that he absolutely sucks at basketball because <laughs> I am not a Jabari Parker, J- Jabari Parker guy. And uh, he's doing a really, really good job this year. He's playing really, really well, which makes me really mad because during the Pistons game, I was just ready to, like, roast this dude the whole game. Nah, he was sweet. Made me really mad. Him <laughs> and uh, Otto Porter, just really not big on either of them. Um, Jab- yeah. But, no, Jabari Parker has been really, really solid for them this year. Obviously, Trey Young is, I mean, it's a shame that he went up in Rookie of the Year against Luka because otherwise I think he would have been – a un- and, and, and pretty much any other year, I think Trey Young would have been a unanimous rookie of the year. Yeah, because he was so phenomenal that second half of the season. Second half, yeah. He was he was pretty bad the first half, but you know, he was phenomenal the second half. And that and that really turned me around on him because I I expected it to be highs and lows all season, but the fact that it was we got both sides of the coin for Trey Young in that yeah. last season, but both sides were consistent. And so, uh, so when he was good, he was consistently good, and that and that really kind of helped turn my perspective on Trey Young around. But yeah, I like Atlanta. I think they're a feisty team. I think, I think they're going to be near the playoffs. Um, I I don't know. Would you Would you say right now, if you had to pick, do you think Atlanta is one of the teams that sticks around in this in this muck, or do you think that they that they start to fall back even more? I don't. I think they're going to probably. I think they'll sort of be pretenders for most of the season. And then probably in the second half, I think they'll win probably like 35 to like 38 games. So they won't make the playoffs, but I think they'll be right on the fringe because the East is terrible and 38 wins very well could get you into the playoffs in the East. Um, Absolutely. So I think they're definitely going to swindle some people into thinking they're a playoff team. And uh, Vegas is going to make a lot of money on people thinking they're a playoff team. Yeah, and they're also going to be that team that really f's up other teams' playoff seeding. You know, when they're just like, "Oh man, we really have to play this team." Like that's kind of what the Nets did the last couple years, right? They kind of just, even the years they didn't make the playoffs, they just kind of were that annoying team that like, that like you didn't want to play, especially on a back to back, because you were just like, "Oh my god, these guys are actually trying." This is yeah, annoying. they were just they're always just trying to play spoilers, basically what <laughs> they were doing. Yeah, hundred percent for sure. Exactly. All right, let's jump to the final team I want to talk about, Indiana Pacers. So Ooh. the Indiana Pacers, they jumped, uh, or I should not say jumped, they fell out of the gate <laughs> to, to 0-3. And since then, they have absolutely turned it around. Sabonis and Brogdon are playing great. Both are excelling as playmakers. The team is second in the league in assist-to-turnover ratio. A top 10 offense and defense, and they are now 
tonight will be their eighth straight game without Miles Turner, and they are still a top 10 defense, and Sabonis is playing so well. So the first thing I want to get to is, is that a sign that the Pacers are doing this well without Turner? Um, I don't know if if I if it's an indictment on Miles Turner. However, I know that there are a considerable number of Pacers fans who, the three times that we've played them this season, they've been in my mentions talking about how much they don't like Miles Turner, which <laughs> is shocking to me. Like one guy was like, "I'll give you Drummond for Turner." Like, who says no? And I was like, we do. I don't want Miles Turner. Thanks, though. And he goes, well, neither do we. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was th- so that was a, like a new development to me. I didn't realize that there's a, Pacers fans have a strong distaste for their big man. I didn't know that. Um, I think people are definitely going to chalk it up to that. I, I guess I would just have to actually watch them more diligently in order to have an, a formed, better formed opinion on it. But I, I don't think that's the reason. I think they're just playing more efficient basketball. Yeah, with uh, Demontis Sabonis, man, that man got paid his money, and he is playing incredible. Like that, he got the contract extension that he wanted, and then it was worth it. Like it was well worth. It. That man has been worth every yeah, single. Yeah, he's playing penny. like he didn't get the extension. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, when the in the third game against the Pistons, he was actually doing a tremendous job preventing Andre Drummond from from getting rebounds and I don't remember what he finished with I'm, I'm pretty sure Andre finished with like 18 rebounds or something like that so maybe if just by the eye test it wouldn't look like it um, but that's sort of the problem with just looking at box scores is you don't yeah. actually get the context of the games but DeMontis Sabonis was doing a phenomenal job uh, his 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 presence in the in the in the paint was just exceptional and it was for all three games Every single post-game article that I wrote for for the Pistons-Pacers games, DeMontis Sabonis was the player of the game every single time because that dude is just insane, and he can stretch the floor. So he's really, really good. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon is probably the MVP, or the, the I guess maybe the MVP is the wrong word. He's probably the winner of the, he got a new team this summer, and his previous team doesn't realize how much they're going to miss him award. Like, yeah. Bucks fans just were just kind of like, oh, we lost Brogdon, like, that sucks. Anyways, like, we got Kyle Corver and Wesley Matthews. Like, that's cool. And it's like, no, you just lost a really, really good point guard. Um, you just lost a rookie of the year like it was nothing. Yeah. Uh, I know the team, I mean, they, they had to give up a few picks for him. But, um, uh, or the Pacers did, I, I mean. But, um, I, yeah, the fans just sort of didn't really care that he was gone. Malcolm Brogdon's been sweet. Sabonis has been sweet. Even the Holiday brothers have been pretty, pretty solid. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I don't enjoy watching the Pacers. I don't like them very much. But I uh as a you know, as a divisional rivalry, I think I hate the the Bucks more probably, but yeah, <laughs> Pacers have definitely stumbling out of the gate is a really really good way to to word that, but they have been scorching ever since. Yeah, they have been playing just absolutely phenomenal fundamental basketball. Um I I'm with you on the Turner stuff. Like I'm I'm actually shocked that you say that about about Indiana having that much of a fan base of you know uh, uh, wanting to get rid of Turner but the thing the thing that I keep coming back to is Turner was an all defensive team caliber player last year he mm. played phenomenal and I think I think it's less an indictment on Turner as a player and more just it this benefits Sabonis so much more not playing True. with him and I think that's really what I'm getting at so if I'm if I'm Indiana I'm I'm exploring the trade market. I know there's teams like Boston who could really, really use a center, 
especially one that shoots and defends. Um, you know, because Lord knows you're not getting either of those from Cantor. So I think <laughs> I, I I think that there's a that there's an actual market out there for for Miles Turner, and I think that I think that they should explore. It. You know, I'm I'm I, I like Cough, I Portland. like a lot of the yes, Portland would be a phenomenal. Get Actually, Hassan, that's a great December fifteenth. Get Hassan Whiteside out of Portland. Get Miles Turner. Honestly, as soon as we're done with this, I am gonna go ahead and I'm gonna steal that. I'm gonna, well, I'm the one that said it, so never mind. I am going yeah. to go ahead and tweet that out because I I love that. Yeah, that that would be an amazing amazing trade because it would white side to the Pacers would also probably sabotage the Pacers. So I'm on board with this. <laughs> I'm on board with this. You're not I'm wrong. On board with this. For for so this works for Pistons on so many layers. Let's make. It's, it would just happen. be a shame that we only get to play the Pacers one more time. So we, the yeah, Andre Drummond beating down Hassan Whiteside, we only get we'd only get to see that once. Yeah, only one more time. But it w- we would enjoy it. Uh, all right. So yeah, Miles Turner. At the end of the day, I think he's a good player. I think him and Sabonis play fine together. But I think if we use an analogy um, to that we did at the beginning of the podcast, and it's Rose and Blake Griffin, I see the same kind of thing where. Those are two good players that I like individually, and together they're not terrible, but I think that they do take away from each other a little bit. So I think Indiana should explore the market for something that kind of helps once uh, Victor Oladipo comes back, because yeah. I think Victor and Brogdon will be very, very nice together. Very nice, but not for Pistons fans. Yes. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll have played the Pacers all the time yeah, that we played them at true. that point. Which is which is kind of nice. Like somebody brought that up to me when I was first at the beginning of the season. I was like, "Oh wow, we really do play." We just got all of our Pacer games out of the way right before Victor Oladipo came back. That was that's kind of nice. it is really nice. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but all right, so they've won six out of their last seven with the Pacers. Uh, I'm starting. I went from I went from two weeks ago opening week thinking all right indiana's not going to make the playoffs they're going to be one of the bottom teams in the in the league because victor's going to come back and when he does he's not going to he's going to take some time and so they're going to end up you know probably like the 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 12th or 10th best team in the in the conference at best to now i've totally reverted course to they are absolutely fine they're going to make the playoffs and I, 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 that's where I'm at with them. Where are you at with them? So I've never really wavered. I mean, even when they were bad, I knew that, you know, they'd be getting Victor Oladipo back, and I sort of just chalked their struggles up to him, his absence. Um, yeah. I went into the season saying they were probably the most underrated team in the East. Um, so I'm, I mean, I'm going to stand by that. I think that, do they have a chance to contend? No. Do they have a chance to really annoy some of the higher caliber teams in the Eastern Conference? Yes, I still believe that. Um, I think you could see them get as high as like the fourth seed this year um, once things really start to pick up for them. So, yeah, I think they're 100% a playoff team. Yeah, I was very questionable of I, – I did the division Central Division preview podcast with James Edwards, and when we were talking about the Pacers – the the thing I was I was concerned about was the uh, was just how they they almost entirely changed their their wing core um, from last season. Yeah. You know, like so many of their of their uh, of their guards, Darren Collison, um, you know, Tyreek Evans. Yeah, all of who, their wing players who, are gone. Uh, Darren Collison just retiring out of the blue. Like he just called it quits literally out of nowhere. He's just like, was it? It was last June, wasn't it? That he was just like, yeah. By the yeah. way, I'm retiring, and Pistons fans were like, oh, well, there goes our contingency plan. 
yeah no that that's what happened it was it was right it was in the middle of free agency too it was like it was i believe it was it was at the end of june or start of july so like yeah free agency had already kicked off yeah and then tyreek evans got kicked out of the league for smoking weed or something like that i think i think it was cocaine oh that would oh wow yeah okay all right yeah, OJ, that would that would make a little bit more. I sense. mean, OJ Mayo is uh, eligible to get back in the NBA. Why is nobody picking up the phone on OJ Mayo? He's been out of the league <laughs> for like four years. This is yeah, I th- up. Yeah, I think two of those years, though. I, I I think if if he was out four years, I think only two of those were were drunk. The rest that's the rest true. of the league was like we're cool. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> but all right, Nick, thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I greatly appreciate you. Uh, I enjoyed talking some lower bowl Eastern conference <laughs> playoffs with you. Uh, next time you come on the podcast, we'll have to, we'll have to talk about some, maybe some more interesting teams. Yeah, we'll talk about some winners, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. That That's the thing. We did not, in this whole entire podcast, we did not once mention a team with a, with a 500 record. I mentioned the Suns <laughs> for about 15 seconds and okay. that was it. <laughs> That was our, that was the only winning on this podcast. That was the only good thing. I'm a winner yeah. for having you on the podcast, man. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of what you do um, at at Piston Powered and just on Twitter. You're a great account to follow, especially Thank when you, it comes man. to Pistons. So why don't you go and uh, promote anything you, yeah. you want to promote? So my Twitter is just my name. So it's at N-I-C-O-L-A-S-H-E-N-K-E-L. That's my Twitter. I would do my Instagram, but... I have my Instagram private because it's sort of like my personal life. People would like my followers would find my Instagram and then go back to pictures of me when I was like 15 and like those. And it would make me really, really Ooh. uncomfortable. So yeah. made my Instagram private. If people discover it, then they are allowed to follow me if they request. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> but no, yeah, that, that's that's my Twitter. Uh, I do Periscope streams all the time. Um was it recently in a legal battle. So, you know, I'm pretty, pretty good with uh, uh copyright law so if anybody needs any tips on that stuff um i guess that's that's it right there man all right man well you know i'll be tuning into your next live stream thank you very much um, but uh, but i appreciate you nick for coming on the podcast man and i'll definitely have to have you back on absolutely man thank you for having me